0: Good to see you. Happy Father's Day to our fathers. Um, fatherhood is such a unique, it is, it's amazing, it's hard, it's disappointing, it's amazing, it's hard, it's disappointing, it's a, and, it's, and, and uh, for many of you, you also may be a father um, to those who don't have a father, so we deeply appreciate you and deeply pray for you. And I think that role is such a significant thing in our in our community and our world. So um, I deeply appreciate that. So thank you, and I hope you enjoyed. Uh, nothing says fatherhood like bad beef jerky. So it's just like here, here's a greasy piece of beef. You're like, yes, it's awesome. So. That wasn't written in my notes, we're going on from there. (laughs) Let me read this for you. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat, and the hired men that followed him. Looking at these verses, we may uh, initially see that a couple of things that could be kind of startling if you let it be, because these verses can be very familiar. But also here are some guys who walked away from their start of their career. They were the guys who probably didn't have boats. They were throwing nets from the shore. They walked away from their startup. And then there's these two brothers who not only walked away from their successful business that their father had, they walked away from their family to follow Jesus. Does that really seem right to you? Like, is that what Jesus is asking us to do? Walk away from work, walk away from responsibilities, walk away from our family? Maybe in our individualistic culture, walking away from family at a certain age, you're like, ah, I get that. Like, I'm about to make my own mark. But to walk away from financial responsibility is that. To sound right to you. For some, it sounds responsible or irresponsible. Some, it might sound exciting. But then there's this verse in Luke's gospel that says, but Jesus says this to a larger crowd. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Oh, my goodness. It certainly seems like Jesus is pretty demanding. Maybe not fully even understanding what family life is like, and you're like, happy Father's Day to me, Dale, thank you very much. I would say if you feel like getting up and leaving right now, hang in there. There's something there for you today, something different than what you think. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Father, I do pray that we experience you today, that we hear from you, that the familiarity of certain things or certain verses we might read happened to a deeper level that we didn't know was there. God, I thank you for our fathers. I thank you for empowering them and strengthening them. May they continue to be men beyond what they've even imagined they could become. So I just pray for this morning in your name. Amen. For many people, the present working definition of what a Christian is might be this. You say a certain prayer, you go to church and maybe as often as you can, And then when you die, you get to go to heaven. It's a pretty good deal. Or if I ask you, what does it mean to be a Christian? You might say, well, there's some core beliefs that I believe. There are certain things I need to think, maybe certain political positions I need to consider. And I try my best to be a good example. And at the end, I get to go to heaven. You might be wondering, "Uh, Dale, that, that sounds correct. Why are you making a big deal about this? Well, here's what burdens me. We may have fed a category that wasn't meant for people to even park themselves in. It's this space where we say a prayer, we believe a few facts about being a Christian, and then we stop. Stop. In our last series in Renewal that we talked about, we talked about one of the huge needs for renewal was the gap between justification and sanctification. Justification is like you're coming to believe in Jesus, you have accepted Him, but then there's this long gap between sanctification, which means your life is being changed by Him. And then we sit comfortably in this space in between. And in looking at what Jesus said and what Jesus did, which is what our goal is in going to Mark, I never, ever, ever, and you can read the book of Mark and challenge me on this, I never see a time where Jesus says to people, hey, pray this prayer, attend some kind of gathering, and then we'll get to hang out for eternity with each other. I never say that. I never see that. Instead, Jesus consistently says to people, follow me, do what I do. Follow me, do what I do. You see, this is what Jesus meant. Jesus was about creating disciples. Not our current add-on ministry around discipleship, where it's like, it's about this, about this, and now if you want to do a little bit more, if you're a little more serious about it, you get to do this path. But this morning, we're going to look at what discipleship to Jesus as shown by Jesus. I'm just going to lay it out. This isn't about like work harder. This isn't about extra weight. I'm going to do my best to simply say, this is what Jesus meant when he said, follow me. I'm not connecting this to being saved. I'm not, because that could get all worked into being weird. like extra work or or, or being good enough. I'm simply talking about what Jesus talked about, following him. Let's see what's there for us. You see, Jesus showed us that being a disciple of him is about three things. It starts with a relationship with him. The second step is an apprenticeship with him. And the third part is Jesus sending us. You could call that, I guess you could preach it as apostleship. Like, well, I'm, I'm an apostle? Well, being an apostle means to be sent. So being in relationship with him, being an apprentice of him, being an apostle with him, being sent out with him. It's been said by some good friends of mine that it's, the, the easier words is be with Jesus. Then start to be like Jesus. And then go do what Jesus did. That's the one that's his goal. But let's start about relationship with him. Go back to the verse. They, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now when he sa- another version of it says, like, I will go make you fishers of men. I remember as a kid going to Sunday school and even singing this song. I don't even know what the song was because that's good news for you because otherwise I'd start singing it. I'm sure it's something like, go be fishers of men and their friends <laughs> and women too, go be fishers of men. whatever. It's not just this little add-on cheesy evangelistic thing Jesus said. This is actually an ancient Hebrew idiom that they would say, if you were a dramatic, powerful speaker, you would be a fisher, you'd be drawing them in. And what Jesus says to them, Is like, I'm going to teach you to do what I do with the power of the Holy Spirit and you too will be at a place where you will draw people in. These guys had no idea from casting nets that a few short years later, Peter would stand up and draw thousands of people in, not to himself, but to Jesus. You see, this isn't the first time though That Jesus saw them. I used to think as a kid, like he just walked by and he's like, hey, follow me. And they're like, woo. It just went. It was like this weird thing. Jesus grew up not too far from here. He would walk by this lake, I'm sure, a lot. And they started to know a little bit about him before he asked them. There was something they knew in him. Something they had seen in him. It wasn't some religious trance that I used to think like had some Jedi mind trick, like, follow me. And they're like, follow Jesus. I thought all sorts of things as a kid or last week. (laughs) Maybe they sensed his authority, his kindness, his goodness, his ability to astonish people. There's something that caused them to leave what they were doing to change the value. Maybe they've been a part of a crowd, that early crowd when we read last week that Jesus said, hey, repent, the kingdom of God is here. And maybe they hung out afterwards and talked to him a little bit. I'm not sure. But either way, they were drawn to him and he was saying, I'm a great teacher. I'll make you a great teacher. You will have a greater purpose. I can't help but think if Steph Curry showed up today and said, Dale, I'm a great shooter. I will make you a great shooter. And in my 55-year-old broken-down body, I'd be like, I can be a great shooter. (laughs) But there's something that drew them to him, a purpose, a vision. Jesus did not say to them, I have a theological system which I would like for you to investigate. I have certain theories that I'd like you to think over. I have an ethical system I would like to discuss with you. Will you read my paper on it? He just said, follow, follow me. You see, it all began with this personal reaction they had to, himself, to Jesus and a vision for what it could be. It continued with this tug on their heart that maybe my life could be about something different and better and be drawn to this guy. And it was moved to a relationship. It was not unique for rabbis and teachers to have disciples. It was incredibly common during that time. The difference was this. The system was like, if there was somebody you wanted to learn from and be their disciple, you would have to approach them and kind of apply kind of say like, here is my belief about the Torah. This is the things I know. And they would take the best of the best and you would present yourself and the the rabbi or the Pharisee or the Sadducee, whatever it was, would say, yes, you are worthy to follow me because of what you know, but their devotion was to the Torah, to the law. What was different about Jesus is that Jesus goes to them. And he's not saying, how good is your belief? How much do you know? But are you willing to? To follow me. Jesus is calling people to himself to learn from him. To be in relationship with him. To learn his ways of life. And what's beautiful about this rabbi is that we see in the book of Hebrews, he experienced every temptation and disappointment that we experience. He knows what it's like to be pushed away, to be rejected, even by his own family. He knows what it feels like to be disappointed. He knows what it's like to be human, and yet he did not sin, and he draws us in. But this relationship is transformational, not transactional. There's a book that I I just really, really enjoyed. It's written by a guy named David Bennett. It's called A War of Loves, and the subtitle was The Unexpected Story of a Gay Activist Discovering Jesus. Now, some of us, you may have a preconceived idea about what this book should be about or what it better be about. I would just encourage you to read it. There's some things that that we can assume, right? I had an English teacher, though, in in high school who used to say, if you just assume what a book is about, or if you just read a summary of the book, it's kind of like kissing your sister. And I'm like, huh? He goes, technically it's a kiss, but it's really not any fireworks, is it? And I'm like, you're weird. (laughs) He's like, just read the book. That was for free. But there's a part of the book where he is describing the moment of discovering greater depths of Jesus. And what this new relationship of Jesus is doing within him. And he writes this. Scripture told me I was liberated from the laws con, con, the laws condemnation and my desires could not condemn me. This was radical beautiful grace. Suddenly my identity no longer centered on what I desired sexually it's centered on Jesus Christ and his costly and beautiful grace. Then he contended continued. Why would someone give up their sexual desires unless they found something higher? When Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6.13 that the body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body, was he not pointing to a desire even more fundamental than human intimacy? Our deepest longing was to be spiritually intimate with God, to experience the belonging we were made for. Many people in the church, I realize, didn't have a real practical category for this belief. At least they didn't act like they did. People stopped at telling me what God didn't want me to do and left out what I was actually being invited into, an intimacy with God. Because maybe themselves, maybe they themselves have stopped as well. Whenever we stop at a place of belief as opposed to an intimacy with Jesus, we've really stopped. Following Jesus. I mean, into deeper places. I'm not telling you you've lost a salvation. I'm just saying Jesus is going, let's go deeper. Let's go stronger. You see, there's something those first four that saw in Jesus, they were drawn to his authority and saw him as a protector, as a leader. And it was what you'll see through the book of Mark whenever they stopped getting deeper, they stopped understanding. But there's a second part of discipleship with Jesus' relationship, and this is the one I'm going to land on for a while. It's an apprenticeship with Jesus. A few chapters later, Jesus makes this really, really clear what he is desiring for his disciples and what he's desiring for us. He says this, He appointed the twelve that they might be with him, relationship, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Relationship, send, but there's this piece in the middle that's apprenticeship. There's an old leadership uh, axiom or idiom, if you will. You probably have heard this before. It's this idea of like, I'll do it and you watch me do it. Then I do it and then you can help me do it. Then you do it and then I'll help you. And then you do it and I'll watch. We see this all throughout Jesus's life, that early on he's doing it and they're watching it and going, I don't get it, but that's amazing. And then he's like, I'll do it and you help. That's probably like passing out the food when they're feeding 5,000. And then you do it and I'll help you. He sends them out to go do things and come back and how was that? And then he leaves and the Holy Spirit comes and they do. When Dallas Willard was asked, what is this discipleship thing, how would you define it? He says this, a good working definition of disciple or apprentice is simply someone who has decided to be with another person under appropriate conditions in order to become capable of doing what that person does or to become what that person is. How many people believe today that Jesus call in your life is to do what he did? If it's not, you're settling for a limited relationship with God. Because I don't have enough to do on my time, I spend a few times, I teach at Western Seminary a little bit. I'm like, Lisa, I, I got some space in my schedule, which I really don't, so I might as well keep doing more. So I teach at Western Seminary. I've been doing it for eight or seven or eight years, and part of the class that I teach, each student needs to have a mentor, like someone they pick because then I work with that mentor to see how they're doing. A lot of times students will come back and like, I'm having a hard time picking a mentor and I don't want to bother people. But what I say to them is this, look for someone who's really good at something that you also want to be good at. They're like, huh. I mean, look for something. If, if you want to be a good preacher, look for someone who's a good preacher and, and connect with them. Look for someone who's a good administrator, whatever it is. Look for someone who's good at something and be like them. You see, we understand this, when you want to learn something new or become better at something, you read about it, you probably watch YouTube about it, videos, you connect with things. Maybe you subscribe to Masterclass. Maybe you're different than me, like you've subscribed and you actually watch Masterclass. I mean, I get the emails reminding me of the great classes. I'm like, that'd be so great. Wait, I'm paying for this. But there's a difference between access to information and actually learning in relationship. Here is a super super simple way of talking about it. About a year ago, I got paid too much money to speak at some place, and so I decided to use that money and buy a smoker. I'm just like, I'm buying a smoker. I, I grew up, my dad taught me how to, well... I say barbecue, but if you're from Texas, you're like, that ain't barbecue. I used to grill over propane. <laughs> we used to use charcoal, but I'm like, it just took too long. So then we gr- but I did that my whole life, and I was pretty good at it. I mean, at least my wife said so. She's like, this is good, but she's a vegetarian, so what does she know? <laughs> she hates when I talk about her, but I just can't stop. Hey, happy Father's Day to my wife. Um, just kidding. So I got this smoker and I was like, oh man, I'm going to make some, I've had had good ribs. So I I, I just like watched this video, I followed it to a T, I did everything, I took all these hours, I pulled it out, I was so excited. I took the first bite of ribs and I'm like, this is terrible, (laughs) it was so dry, I mean, I I followed everything. I had this thought as me and my wife were eating these ribs, I'm like, I'm never going to smoke again. I'm not even gonna try. This is embarrassing. i mean, to who? Lisa doesn't know. She's like, this is fine. I'm like, no. There was this moment, and it's kind of embarrassing. I'm like, I guess the smoker will just sit in the backyard. (laughs) But then I remembered I have some really good friends who are really good at this. (laughs) And all I needed to do was take a posture of learning. And they needed to take a posture after they mock me to teach me. Because, of course, there's this mocking manhood, afraid of the smoker. And one of them's looking at me right now. So, you know, that's how it is. But there's this moment like, hey, what are some things that you do? Oh, I do this and this and this and this and this. And then you try it. And you're like, the second time, I'm like, oh, that was, that was way better. And even now, to this day, like I'm trying this thing, and I text him, and I'm like, um, "This is where it's at. What do you think?" And he's like, "Well, test this and this." And I'm like, "Oh, it's beautiful." In the simplest of ways, we need to take a posture before Jesus, just like, "Who help me?" Because Jesus takes a posture of teaching. It's simply to learn about something. The desire to is just the very beginning. We know this, if you want to be a good chef, you hang out with great chefs. If you want to be a good mechanic, you should hang out with great mechanics. If you want to be a good father, you probably should start talking to great fathers. There's an opportunity that we have too as a community of faith, do we not? I mean, there should be this cross aisle person to person engagement with each other. Otherwise, what are we doing? An apprentice is someone who is in an active fellowship with those who've gone before them or experiencing different things than you are. I worked at a, a, a church, the last church I worked at up in San Francisco for about four years. And through surveys like we just did, a few years ago, um, prior to the pandemic, the results told us that our church was 65% single and of the 1,400, 1,500 people that attended, the average age was 31 years old. And most of our church, 90% of our church was between the age of 25 and 35, which made me wonder, why in the world would they hire me? And they would say, because we need adult hanging out with us. <laughs> the first few years that I was there, whenever I found anybody with gray hair, and I'm like, hey, 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 they're like, hey, it's like our own little tribe. It was hard at first because I was like wondering, like I'd see them connect with each other and I was wondering what part did I play in this. And then some of them started calling me like, you're like our dad, but you're like a really cool dad. And I'm like, sweet. (laughs) But there was a gap that I saw between what the church needed and it was probably more perspective. Last year, um, when I was still working at the church, we bought Uh, a a church building and it was from a church that existed for decades and decades and decades a lot of great ministry and it just started to decline for a lot of different reasons I guess but we bought this church building and and some of the people who had um, been going to this church for decades decided to come to our church the style was very very different (laughs) the uniqueness of what we were trying to do was very different than what they were used to. But as I would talk to them, they just said, we we feel like God wants us to press in to see if we can be of help to this next generation of people. But there was still a gap of those who were wanting to and those who were reaching out to and how that all worked. And on the last Sunday that I was there, um, they asked me to say a blessing or challenge to the church. And I would say this is still my challenge because it's a burden that I have. And it's a burden around apprenticeship. See, because apprenticeship doesn't just happen by osmosis, it takes a change of mindset, it takes a change of intentional conversations and relationships, but the opportunity was there. So I challenged the church around this, and I think I challenge us as well is to lovingly seek out those who are older than you, for they have experienced things that you haven't experienced. And compassionately seek out those who are younger than you, because they are currently experiencing things that you did not experience. And to curiously seek out those who think differently than you, for they're experiencing our world in ways that you don't and you need to. And for all of us to patiently allow yourselves to be found by those who should be seeking you. Because when we ask others, what do you see or what should I be thinking about, you will transition from the mindset of they should be doing this to we are doing this. So what do you want to do together? How does apprenticeship fit into us? You see, a really great question to ask around Jesus is what is Jesus good at that I want to be good at? Have you ever asked yourself that? Like, what is Jesus really good at? Like, if this is for real, if he's like relationship, apprenticeship, and then he gets to send me out, what is Jesus good at that you want to be good at? I heard this phrase one time well, I'm really good at sinning, and Jesus is really good at saving so it's a good match yeah I could preach on that and you'd be like amen but that's not that's the beginning of the story Jesus shares this come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest take my yoke upon me and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in spirit and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light so what is Jesus really good at? And Jesus was good at living in the kingdom and in the presence of God. And he applies that kingdom reality for the good of others. And even makes it possible for people to enter it themselves. He was really good at bringing the kingdom of heaven into hurting desperate places. He's really good at being an incredible non-anxious presence in the midst of storms and trials that usually make people hate or be angry or worry or concern or be anxious. He's really good at bringing love, compassion, and truth to every situation. And his purpose is for you to be really, really good at all of those things as well. Do you want it? Ask yourself, If I'm an apprentice of Jesus, what am I hoping to happen? (laughs) What's my end goal? And the final part of this discipleship of relationship, apprenticeship, is being sent by Jesus. Jesus saying, I will send you out to fish for people. One of the most important aspects of following Jesus, this is just him laying it out is that we're empowered and entrusted by him to do what he did. I grew up in a church that was really scared of that for some reason. I mean, I loved my church. I loved the people. But when all of a sudden you're like, wait, I'm supposed to do what he did? That feels like heavy or shameful or extra work. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to train you and empower you to go do it in joy. Wait, what do you mean enjoy? Have you ever seen... Somebody whose life was heading this way, and because of the power of God, or some words you said, or you're part of their life, you see their life turn. It is exhilarating. Have you joined a group of people and God answered that prayer? It's unbelievable. In Jesus' final message in Matthew, one of his final words, he says this, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now this may be like, whoa, I don't even have time for this. This also means this is a cross-aisle ministry. One of the reasons why we're trying to draw people closer is that you see each other and hear each other and start ministering here. That's also being sent. It's part of our sending. It's a part of our commissioning. We are sent to do what Jesus did. He starts out by saying, I'm going to send you out to heal and to preach and to oppose evil. But let me talk about this for a minute, because you might be going, do you know what I have going on in my life? Jesus is also sending you, I believe, in your current life situation, in your current stage of life. There was this thing that was very popular when I was a youth pastor. was WWJD. Do you ever hear of that? What would Jesus do? And that was inspiring for a while, and then it was just like, oh my gosh, that's kind of weighty. I came up with a new one. W-W-J-D-I-H-W-M. Doesn't it just roll off the tongue? (laughs) What would Jesus do if he was me? Because there's got to be moms out there who have three kids under the age of five right now, and a a good day means you got to shower and maybe a piece of toast. And you're like, Jesus is sending me out to cast out demons? I need someone to change the diapers. So one of the thoughts is, what would Jesus do if he was me in this situation? How would he do this? How can I just be Christ-like even in the midst of this situation? There might be college students taking a full load and working full-time to pay for it. What would Jesus do if he was me? How would he react and then respond? do things. Maybe you're a grandparent or even a great-grandparent great looking at the unique challenges of health and influence and experiences. If you're sitting this morning and you're like, man, Jesus is late. He's not. He's saying, what would you do? It's a great conversation with other people. I wonder what Jesus do if he was in my situation. At least prompting some of your thoughts. You see, discipleship is this relationship with Jesus, is an apprenticeship with Jesus, being sent by Jesus into this deeper. Jesus is always calling people just deeper, no matter your current life situation, just a little bit deeper. But we look at the verse that, shat, that maybe shook you a little bit at the very beginning, this thing about hate. <laughs> I'm supposed to hate my family, what, what is he talking about? Sometimes when the Bible, because the Bible is currently broken down into chapters and verses, certain things pop out. This is also how we get some really, really interesting views about God, the Holy Spirit, and what women can and can't do, because we just take these isolated things and go, boom, without looking at the context of Scripture. It's preposterous. That many times Jesus said, love your father and mother, bless those, forgive your brother, then all of a sudden hate them. That's not a thing. You see, Jesus isn't talking act of hate. He's talking in comparison. The New Testament words, the original Greek, is so many nuance to them that so often the New Testament that hate isn't meant as an emotional thing. It's just meant comparably. Jesus is asking for something deeper, that in comparison to your current relationships, I want something deeper because I'm worth it. Let me explain this in this way. When my daughter was young, she still asks me this, but when she was young, she used to say to me, who do you love more, mom or me? And I would look at her without a hesitation and say, mom. Now, some of you are like, no, Dale, the right answer is I love you both the same. But it wasn't true. You're like, still, who are you right now? I know you love them differently, but part of me just loves to antagonize my daughter because she was looking for something like, no, I love mom more. She goes, how can you say that? Because it's true. She'd come home on Valentine's Day. She was convinced it was a family event where are we going out for dinner on Valentine's Day?" And I'm like, me and your mom are going here. You're staying home with the neighbor. Not really. (laughs) But this is really the thing I would say not long after she would be like mad at me. I would say this, you don't realize it now, but the best thing for you is that me and your mom love each other deeply and that our relationship continues to grow and becomes more intimate than before because you'll be the beneficiary of that. And what is so vital for Lisa, for my wife, is that my love for Jesus is even deeper and more dependent than my relationship with her because it's for her benefit. It is for her value that when my intimacy with Jesus is deeper and then it pours into her, which pours into my daughter, which pours into the world. That's what Jesus is saying, for your benefit, but even greater than that, for the benefit of your family, for your world, for everybody else, the dependency on me should be here. And it moves down. Finally, Timothy Keller said it like this the gospel isn't advice it's the good news that you don't need to earn your way to god jesus has already done it for you and it's a gift you receive by sheer grace through god's thoroughly unmerited favor if you seize that gift and keep holding on to it then jesus call won't draw you into fanaticism or lukewarm moderation but you will be passionate to make Jesus your absolute goal and priority, to orbit around him. When you meet somebody with a different set of priorities or a different faith, you won't assume that they're inferior to you. You'll actually seek to serve them rather than to oppress them. Why? Because the gospel is not about choosing to follow advice. It's about being called to follow a king. I would love the call for each of us to step in deeper, and as we continue through the teaching of what he said and what he did, it's about stepping in deeper. God, I just thank you for what you're doing in us and through us. May we continue, and, or maybe learn for the first time what it's like to be in relationship with you, really, to be taught by you, and to accept the empowerment of doing what you, Jesus, did to go out wherever you call us to. Help us be the church that you do not look at and go, huh, they're lukewarm. But that, you know, this is the church that f- remembers their first love and goes out and does it. We love you. read you this, may the God of endurance, huh, we need that, and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus. From what I understand, there's plenty of donuts and beef turkey on your way out. Feel free, whether you're a father, a mother, a daughter, or a son, grab some on the way out. If you're newer or just want a chance to connect and get to know people, we'd love to invite you to our short Connect gathering as well. God bless you as you go, and may you have a great week of being sent out by Jesus. Amen, amen.